Heavenly Father, as we embark on this new journey, on what it means and what it looks like for us to fight like Christians. May that tongue-in-cheek title for this series, Lord, really be able to teach us what it truly means that you desire for us, what you desire for our relationships, and what you desire from us. I ask that for each one of us here that you would make us receptive to the message and that we wouldn't look for how someone else might benefit from this message, but, how, but what you require from each one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I guess it was in August when we were in Dallas for a wedding. One of my, one of my really best friends who no one thought would ever get married got married. And so he invited us, and I said, you know, we wouldn't miss it for the world, uh, especially because he was like in his mid-40s. So like, you know, you, you kind of think like he's just going to be a single the rest of his life. But he finally tied the knot. We were so happy for him. He's a pastor friend of mine. Uh, we were in seminary together. But we went to Dallas, Texas. Now, is anyone here from Texas? No? All right, so I'm going to let loose. So can I just tell you that A, Texas uh, highway system makes absolutely no sense to me, if you've ever been there. And B, like, I used to get annoyed and upset with, like, California drivers, but now I realize how good we have it because, really, Texas drivers, they don't, like, they don't ask for permission, they don't use their blinkers, and they will literally go from, like, one side of the highway to the other side of the highway with, like, no space and cut you right off. Have you, have you ever experienced that in Texas? Like, I don't get anxious when I'm driving, but, like, the whole time, like, I was telling Kara, like, I feel like I'm going to die. And, like, I realized, like, when I'm driving, that's when I get the most angry and upset. Now, I didn't try to cut people off in Texas, because if, if I understand correctly, it's an open carry state where you can pack heat. So I'm like, it's cool. Jesus loves you. You're probably late. I, it was probably my fault. Let me, let me pull over. But I get so angry. Like even sometimes here in California, especially when you're trying to get onto the toll road to go towards Riverside or, or somewhere where you know you have to get in line. And then what happens? Inevitably what happens is someone comes up right at the very end and they try to cut you off. Like am I the only one that that makes like so angry? Yeah, I like tailgate people so no one will come in. Like, because I just, like, it's unfair. There's injustice. Like, I waited for the last 30. I know some of you are like, I do that, <laughs> you know. But, like, you see, we, we, there's just this anger that gets built up in us when things don't go the way we want them to. And I think sometimes what happens with ourselves is we take that kind of frustration, that angst, that anger that we have in those moments, and oftentimes we tend to act like that in our relationships, now, I'm not just talking about romantic relationships because not everyone is in a romantic relationship here. But I'm talking about every single one of our relationships. We, we kind of, like, let the anger spill over. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your significant other, with coworkers, right? We have a sense of losing it sometimes because our coworkers aren't pulling their weight. With our friends, right? We've all been mad at our friends. And sadly and unfortunately, we sometimes let our anger get in the way of the relationships that we have here in the church. And so over the next five or six weeks, I can't remember how many, we're going to be looking at a sermon series called How to Fight Like a Christian. And that's a tongue-in-cheek title 
Because if we're honest, and I think if we look at what Jesus would want from all of us, I don't think God wants us to fight at all. God wants us to learn the secret of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of empathy, and of compassion, and of caring for each other. And so we're going to spend some time looking from Scripture about what it means and what it looks like to be able to argue and fight like a Christian, and what are the expectations that God has for each one of us, especially for those of you who are followers of Jesus. You know, there's a—in in sermon series like this, um, it's going to be more topical, and what that means, and here's what, how you will notice the difference. Maybe you'll notice the difference. Most sermons that I teach here— I'll pick like a passage of scripture, which is called a pericope, and then I'll, I'll use that passage, I'll unpack it. Sometimes we'll pull in other verses, but for the most part, we stick with one passage. But for this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at several different Bible verses from different parts of the Bible, and, and I guarantee you that I've done my homework and my study to make sure that I don't take them out of context, because we know we can do that, right? Have you ever heard of the word proof texting? Proof texting is this thing that we sometimes do where we find all the verses that seem to um, support our position, and sometimes we take them out of context. Like, so that's not what we're going to do here. What I've done is I've made sure that I try to look at a passage within its context so that we can pull the most out of it, even though we're only reading shorter parts of these bigger passages. But the one thing that I want to bring up to, the one kind of passage that, that really is centering the, this message is that in John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it what? More abundantly. But for a lot of people, it doesn't feel like life is very abundant. And for the most part, we can narrow down why we don't feel like our life is fulfilling and joyful, oftentimes because relationships, whether they're work or family or whatever it is, aren't functioning the way we know that God wants them to. And that's why we're doing this, especially in the context of a church, is we want to make sure that we are participating in the abundant life that Jesus has called us into and the life that God has created for each one of us. But you see, one of the things that gets in the way of that is when we get angry. And emotions are really tricky, right? Like emotions come up when we don't even realize they're coming up. So if you've ever been nervous before a first day of work, or if you've ever been nervous if you've ever played sports and you get that nervous, like we can't control those things. Like our body just naturally reacts. If you've ever been afraid, your body just has these natural reactions to things that you really can't control. And sometimes anger does that for us. Like sometimes anger comes up and we can't control it. You know, rationality and reason goes out the window when we get angry, right? We get this tunnel vision and all we can think about is how mad we are or how mad we are at another person. And sometimes that anger, it justifies our decision or our actions towards other people. And so sometimes we get so angry that we yell at someone or we, you know, speak very meanly towards them or we say things about them because we feel justified because our anger is making us feel in such an uncomfortable way. You know, and the reason that we feel these things is because we have these things that are called mental models. You know, and, and a mental model, and this is where anger comes up, right? So think about the context of your relationships, right? Think about the people that make you mad, right? Like, just think about that for a second because I don't want you to get all down or angry. <laughs> but when you think about someone that makes you angry or mad, it's because they're not fitting into the mental models you have of the way things should be. So like a mental model is very basically this, that there is an understanding of how you think the world should be, how people should act, how things should function in every area of your life, 
and you expect other people, and we do this with our spirituality too, and we expect everyone to live into our mental model. Now the problem isn't that you have a mental model, is that you don't realize how it's affecting you because we all have these mental models. And so what ends up happening is when someone functions outside of that, especially in the context of any relationship, like our anger begins to build up because we think like either there is an injustice that's being done or they are just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so we begin to get angry or we begin to get frustrated. We begin to treat people in a not very Christ-like way. Now the scriptures in, in James 1 tells us this. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now we can substitute that first word, second word that says man's, for a woman's anger, for a man's anger. Man is just mankind. So in other words, your anger, you know, you could put your name in there, for David's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires for us. You see, whenever we get angry, as I said, it, it kind of begins to control how we treat people, how we talk to people, how we even view people. But what James reminds us, and James is a really good book about teaching us about Christian character. Like James teaches us what God expects from us and, and kind of how these behaviors play out in, in, when we interact with other people. But it's so interesting that God's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And what's powerful about that is we think, well, if my anger is within me, then it's not a big deal. Because the other person doesn't know I'm angry with them, or they don't know that I'm mad at them. But the reality is, is that anger, even if it's not expressed towards other people, it does something harmful within you. Have you ever noticed when you've been angry for a long time or frustrated, that oftentimes you start to get sick? You start to get, you know, headaches or stomach aches or back aches. And so whenever anger begins to creep up, it also gets in the way of your relationship with God. And so as James tells us that anger gets in the way, not that you're going to be righteous on your own, but anger gets in the way of your relationship with God because what ends up happening is in anger, we stop seeing other people as made in the image of God. And so anger is detrimental to us. You know, when we get angry, a lot of the time, we want to get even with people. Isn't that true? Right? So we want revenge. We want to pay them back in as much as they have done to us. And so anger takes us from being people that are peacemakers and those who love one another as people who are trying to exact judgment on other people. You know, our emotions are so powerful that they get in the way of our relationship not only with God but with each other. And so I want to show you this picture. I've shown this picture with you several times before, and I just want to help you to understand this in very practical terms. So when we understand emotions, right, they kind of come up at different times, but emotions, they, in a sense, enter our brain at the stem of our brain, so where the spinal cord meets our brain. And so our emotions come there, and oftentimes we make decisions based on our emotions first, right? So like, oftentimes when you're angry, You'll say things you wish you hadn't said. When you're angry, you'll do things you wish you hadn't done. And even if you're arguing with someone, like even as the words are leaving your mouth, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but you just want to hurt that other person. And that's because your emotions is how so many of us make decisions and the things that we do and say in our lives, right? That's why it's so hard to reconcile 
after you've been angry with someone and said things because your emotions were so high, you didn't have a filter, and then it begins to break down relationships in your life. Now think about this, that as Christians, this happens to us as well. So emotions, they come in at the back of your brain, and oftentimes, and, and what they do is that your emotions travel through your limbic system, and then they want to get to the front of your brain, which is your rational and your reasoning and where your logical brain is. So here's what happens. If we function only on our emotions, then we're not being rational and thinking things through. And now this is the way we were created. This is the way we're made. And God's like, yeah, so sometimes the fear and the bad stuff is to keep us alive and to survive. But the reality is, is for those of us who are new creations in Christ, is if you're angry, it's probably better to take a step back, remove yourself from the situation, and then allow your more logical, reasoning brain to do its work the way God created us so that we don't say things that we'll regret. Or we don't say things in a certain way that are going to damage relationships. Remember, our anger gets in the way, not just of our personal relationships, but our relationship with God. And if we just live by our emotions, if we just make decisions on your emotions, you're probably going to make some pretty terrible decisions. And so oftentimes, especially when you're angry with someone, it's important that you take a step back and consider why you're so angry. Consider what they might be doing that isn't sitting well with you. And the Christian way to do this is to allow enough time for you to wait so that when you approach them, you're able to talk about the issue and not just try to tear down that other person. Because as James reminds us, our anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. And the righteous life doesn't mean that you're without sin. The righteous life in Scripture is about someone who is deeply connected and committed to living a life in relationship with God. You see, your relationship with God, and listen to me here, your relationship with God is not just about you. But your relationship with God by definition of having a relationship with God, must bleed out into how you interact with other people. Like, that is foundational to Scripture. You know, in the Old Testament, when the prophets were talking to people, you know, sometimes you'll read Bible verses in the Old Testament, and you'll think like, oh, it's directed at me because it has the word you. But the you is often plural, which means that when God speaks through the prophets to the Israelites, he was speaking to all of them as a community, as a body, as a group of people that come together to form one unit. And so when we talk about these kinds of things within the context of a modern church today, all of us in here are one body. Now, how many of you, not, not even how many of you, I'll just give you my example. So as most of you know, I, I like to run as often as I can, and I like to work out. I like, it just makes my stress level kind of keeps it at a low level because, like, the endorphins and all the good stuff that happens. But over the last, I want to say, three and a half months, maybe more, I've been having this pain in my, like, upper area of my calf. And, and it only gets activated, like, it only starts hurting when I try to run, like, outside, and I try to run kind of fast, or fast for me. But here's what happens. If that one little, like, I don't even know what muscle that is. It's, like, in a weird spot. But I can tell you that as soon as it starts hurting, like, I just stop because it hurts too much. And the more that I run, the worse it gets, the longer I have to take time off before I can use that muscle again. 
So in the context of this church and our relationship with each other, if there is one relationship that suffers, all of us suffer as a whole. That is the way God created churches to be. And that is why we're taking the time to to do a sermon series on conflict or how to actually fight and argue like a Christian because it is imperative. We don't have a choice. We must be a community of faith that always seeks reconciliation with each other. Because your relationship with God, it's not enough to just say, well, I'm sorry, God, we're good. I know you forgive me. But then you haven't gone and done the work of reconciling and forgiveness. Like, it's not optional as a Christian whether you're going to forgive someone or not. Now, again, and I always make this caveat, if you're in a relationship where there is abuse, we're not talking, like, I, this isn't going to work. Like, you can still forgive, but you got to get yourself out of a situation where there is any kind of abuse. Like, that's, you know, that, 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 that's separate. I'm talking about the everyday normal types of arguments and fights and things that happen. But as a community of followers of Jesus, we must always, always, always rely on what God wants for us, not just on our own emotions. Because as Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things. It says, and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, when the Bible writers were writing this, they believed, there was their belief that your heart was the center of your being, and, and so if you felt something, it was coming from your heart. And so what they were basically saying is this, that your emotions are deceitful. You can't trust your emotions all the time. And like, you, you just can't control them, which is like, it's beyond cure. And so you can't just rely on how something makes you feel. Because if you just rely on what you're feeling, you're going to do things and say things that you regret. And so the first step in conflict resolution is to take 100% ownership of your emotions in the conflict. You know, if you've ever been to a, um, to a therapist, what's one of those questions that they always seem to ask us? Like, you tell them about, like, oh, my mom said this, and then she did this. And, like, what does the therapist always say? How does that make you... So the first step in conflict resolution in a Christian perspective is to understand that no one can make you feel anything. No one can make you feel anything. You allow things to influence you. But ultimately, it is your decision as to how you will see and perceive every circumstance. You see, conflict resolution so much is about the self-awareness and understanding why things are making you upset. Like, you have to take ownership of that. It's never okay to lash out because it's not what God wants from each one of us. You know, and our anger, as I said, keeps us from seeing others as made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the scriptures tell us what? That God created humankind in whose image? In the image of God, he created them, man and woman. What that tells us he doesn't say that God created just some humans in his image, but rather that God created every single living person in this world that ever was, that ever is, that ever will be in the image of God. Which means that in some small way, we are to treat each, well not really, but I, I guess I was going to say something different, but which means 
that if we are all created in the image of God, it is your responsibility to view others as made in the image of God. You know, Paul writes that when he comes to the church that he decides to only see Christ and Christ crucified in every person. Are you looking for the Christ in those who are around you? But anger gets in the way. How many times have we heard the expression that someone was just seen red when they were angry? Right? Your emotions get the best of you. You say things, and all of a sudden, you can't walk things back. But you got to understand why you're so upset, why things are making you mad. And I mean, this is just like two seconds worth. But you see, anger is a secondary emotion in our lives. So you have to take a step back. Remember, because all you can do is control your own behavior. You can't control anyone else's as much as you try. And that's what anger does. You try to control other people. But in reality, anger is a secondary emotion. It's like an iceberg. It's the only part that you see. But what you don't realize is that below the surface of your anger, there's a fear. There's a hurt. Right? There's something that you can't make peace with. And things are just throwing you out of balance. And the reality is, when someone else is angry too. Now here's part two of the Christian experience. That when someone is angry towards you, you have to realize that there's something that's going on below the surface of that. And as Christians, brothers and sisters, it is our responsibility, Scripture tells us, to bear one another's burdens. Is that easy when someone is mad at you or you're mad at someone else? Is it? No. And yet that is what we are called to as followers of Jesus. As Seventh-day Adventist Christians in the world today, why can't we be the ones that model reconciliation better than anyone else? Why can't we be the ones who say, I know it's hard. Like, listen, the invitation that Jesus gives us to follow him is never follow me and you're going to have all the best of everything. Never in scripture does it say that. In fact, Jesus, when he invites people to follow him, he then says, and you're going to bear your cross, and ultimately you're going to lose your life for me, but it's okay because what you gain is so much better than anything you can imagine. And so Jesus is asking every one of you who you have a, like, is asking each one of us this morning, for those of us that we have conflict with someone else, is to pick up our cross just as Jesus did, humble ourselves, and then go and seek reconciliation with someone that either has hurt us or whom we have hurt. That is the Jesus way of living. Is it easy? No. But what you get when you do it is knowing that you are living in the will and in the flow of God who reconciled with you. Remember the scriptures tell us that it was while we were God's enemies that Jesus forgave you. It wasn't when we had made things right and then we come to Jesus, but it was while we were estranged, while we were not believers, while we had not accepted Christ, while we were God's enemies, Jesus dies for you and forgives you of your sins and legally, in the cosmic court of God, makes you right in the sight of God. And so when we reconcile with others, we are following in the flow and in the will of what God wants from each one of us. So I'm going to look at another passage in Jeremiah. So Jeremiah, the first verse we looked at in Jeremiah, tells us that the heart or our emotions are deceitful above all things. 
who can understand them. But I want to show you the next verses. If we can't trust our emotions, who can we trust? All right, like scriptures tell us, blessed are those who trust in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. So when I'm telling you that we are to seek reconciliation, forgiveness, compassion, and empathy, that means that we are trusting that what God has asked us to do, which is to seek reconciliation, is going to be the best thing for you. Because when you just trust your emotions, you're going to do what you want to preserve yourself or to get back at someone. That's not the way of God. But in the very same context of Jeremiah 17, it tells us that those who trust in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord will be blessed. And I don't have this up on the screen, but here's how the rest of that passage goes. If you trust God and if you seek the counsel of God, it says you will be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots to the stream. And it shall not fear when heat comes and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious and it does not cease to bear fruit. When you trust God and you follow the way of Jesus and the counsels of God, as hard as it is, you're going to be like a tree who's planted next to a stream of water and sets its roots out to the stream. Now the water is a metaphor for God and the tree is a metaphor for us. If you are someone that puts their whole trust in God, seeking reconciliation may not feel the best. Because remember, our emotions can be deceitful. But we know that we will be doing what is right when we seek reconciliation, when we seek forgiveness, when we seek to mend relationships, because God has desired that for each one of us. You know, I wish we lived in a world where there was no conflict, where there was no anger or bad things or malice but the reality is is that this is just a part of the world that we live in today but we are people who are called to live into the nowness of the kingdom of god and so even though the pattern of the world is to be angry to get revenge to spread gossip to talk behind people's back that's the pattern of the world but as people who live as citizens of heaven we are not to do those things but we are to seek the work of reconciliation as jesus sought for us as well the only words that jesus utters on his way on his way to the cross when jesus was literally un unfairly accused of the very worst things and was killed a scoundrel's death jesus doesn't defend himself jesus doesn't say oh well, you, you got it all wrong jesus doesn't say like oh well if you under understood me a little bit more give me some more Jesus doesn't do any of that because he he knows that all he can control is how he will treat people and the words that jesus says is father what forgive them because they don't know what they're doing they're not understanding all of it. they don't know all of that he says, Father, forgive them. In the moment of his direst pain, probably even, I would say, some fear, because he was still fully human. Holy God, but fully human. And in the moment of the worst moment of his life, his posture was to forgive. Now, I know we've all been hurt. I know we've all had anger lashed out at us. I know we've all felt betrayed. But the scriptures tell us that we are to seek forgiveness and nothing else. The Bible tells us that it is not for us to seek revenge, but to allow God to take care of any revenge, if any, is 
needed. And so the first part of dealing with our emotions that ultimately leads to conflict is dealing internally with what we're feeling, what we're thinking, and why we're feeling those ways. So we have a few more minutes. Mind if I keep going? I got one more section, just one more little passage that I want us to give to kind of bring this home. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, right? So first we deal internally, and this is how we deal with anger externally. Now you were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, right? So that's a, a broad statement that once when we lived apart from Christ, we only lived for what we want to satisfy our desires, to satisfy our emotions. And he says, you were taught, put away that former self. This is where repentance comes in. Repentance is about when Jesus invites us and when God invites us into a relationship is that we say, although the most important relationship in my life before meeting Jesus was myself, repentance is I leave that old life and now my most important relationship is with Christ. And so, and so Paul in Ephesians says, put away that former self and verse 23, and be renewed in, your, in the spirit of your minds. And to clothe yourself with the new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, the way of righteousness and holiness isn't just about what we do for ourselves, but how the relationship with God affects and bleeds out into every other relationship that we have. So remember, Paul is setting this up. He says, where once you could just do and seek revenge and do whatever you wanted until you were satisfied, right? He says, the new way of life says, we don't get to just do those things. We let God take care of that, and we will clothe ourselves with the likeness of God by having a relationship with God and trying to reflect God in all that we do. Right, so this is like the meta. This is like the big picture. And then Paul gets super specific. He says, no, no evil talk. Well, I missed the verse that says, in verse 26, it says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Let me repeat that, because I, I, I didn't get it on the PowerPoint. It says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil, which is another way of saying that your anger is one of those things that the enemy has to use us to not live like Christ, but to live like someone other than Christ. Now here's the thing, here's what it says. If you're angry, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So on the one hand, as hard as it is for the person who's angry to go to the other person and forgive them, it is your Christian responsibility, and listen to this, that when a brother or sister comes to you to ask for forgiveness, it is your responsibility to do what? Forgive. You see, it's not just enough to say, okay, I'm not going to be angry, but, and, and, but it's not just enough to go to someone, but the other party has to seek reconciliation as well. Now, this is like if there was rules for what it looks like to be a Christian or if there was a Christian manifesto, I mean, which is the Bible, but like, is this is rules for how to live a life that reflects the honor and the glory of God. And so I'm just going to finish up with these last few verses. It says, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up 
as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. See, when we don't live the way Jesus desires for us, the Bible says, like, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. You're grieving God. Put away all your bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice, right? So all your emotions that make you angry and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You know, if anyone ever told you that Christianity was going to be easy, they didn't give you the whole story. And I know some people probably get upset when I get up here and I say things like, Christianity is hard. The process might be delineated, but the true work of the Spirit can be difficult, but God through His Spirit empowers us to be able to do it. I'm going to read this part one more time because I feel like this is speaking to me. Put away all your bitterness and your wrath, your anger, your wrangling and slander together with all malice, that's evil intentions, and be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, right? This is calling within us. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. God is not asking you to do something God hasn't done himself. You know your sins. I'm not going to ask you to say them out loud. You know the sins that God has given you victory over, and you know the sins that you're still wrestling with today. And yet Scripture tells us that God has forgiven you for your worst sins. Jesus atoned for you. The verse before this was that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. When we don't treat each other with love, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, just this morning we were talking about anger in the office and, and someone said, you know, my kids would tell me I would rather you be angry with me than like, than you be disappointed in me, right? Like, because we can handle anger because we're just like, or like when our parents yell at us because it's like, yeah, I know I messed up. I kind of deserve it. But if your parent is disappointed in you and you have a good relationship with them, what does that do to you? Like you feel their disappointment. Think about this on the scale with God. When we don't live the way that Jesus has called us to live, we are grieving God to his very soul. And he has shown us a better way. And finally, Paul continues to write and he says, bear one another's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Remember you were created in the image of God. We are called to do, as we say, to do life together, to live in the relationship with each other, to care for each other, to not just worry about the difficult times in their life, but to seek reconciliation always. And do not allow your emotions to get the best of you because remember, your emotions can be deceitful and lead you down paths you don't want to go down. Don't trust your emotions, but trust in God. And trust that what God is calling us to do will benefit us in the end, as difficult as it may be, even though we may not want to do it, but God is calling us to do it. 
And if you do, you will be like a tree planted next to streams of water. You will be like someone who, no matter what happens, God will continue to sustain you and strengthen you, give you the words, and give you the ability to be able to forgive. Because as hard as, hard as it is to ask for forgiveness, it's even harder to give forgiveness when someone has hurt you. And we are called to do both. Thank you.